We're in a series entitled The Radical Zone, and let me quickly define what living in the radical zone means. It means living a life of increased fervor and passion for Christ. Increased fervor and passion for Christ. That will automatically set you apart from most people, right? Because most people do not live lives of passion. They don't. Most people, if they would be honest and you were to ask them, what are you passionate about? Well, not much of anything. Life kind of got old for them and many of them are still young. Look at it like this. When someone is passionate about a particular sport or a particular team, we call them fans, right? But what does fans mean? It is short for fanatic. Really is. Look it up. It's short for fanatic. Now, you can be a fan of baseball or basketball or soccer or football, or you can be a fan. We've got a bunch of teams here in Houston. You can be a fan of the Texans or the Rockets, or we could go on. But you know what makes you stand out? It's when not everyone else is a fan for that same team. If everyone were fans of the same team and the same sport, that would be normal. But because we have folks that are fans of the Texans and Steelers and the Packers, and we even have some that are fans of Dallas. Amen. You stand out if you're a fan of the Texans because not everybody is a fanatic or a fan for your team. I want to say this. Not everybody's a fan of Christ. We live in a day and age when they tell you you can be fanatical about anything. Just do not be fanatical about God. Don't be a fan of God. Don't bring him in the office. Don't bring him to the locker room. Don't bring him to the gym. Don't, don't bring him to school. You leave your Christ out of it. I'm sorry. I'm his temple. Where I go, he automatically goes with me. Amen? Yes. You see, if everybody was a fan of Jesus, that would be the norm. Just like if everyone was a fan of Texas, that would be the Texans. That would be the norm. I want to correct something before I even get started. I want to deal with this thing that you should not buy into the world's delusion and deception that it's okay to be a fan of everything but God. If there is anything or anyone you ought to be a fan of, it's our Lord Jesus Christ after what he did for all of us. He gave Brian the grace to go through what he went through. And I'm reading from our text, Acts 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. That was one of the religious feasts that the people of Israel observed each year. 
So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, the Roman military was broken up into different units, and they would all work together and fight together as a cohesive fighting army. But you had like a century of soldiers. That was 100. It's where we get our word century from. And you had over them a centurion, like the centurion in Matthew 8, who said, Lord, come down. I've got a servant that's sick, but I'm not worthy for you to step under my roof. So instead of coming down, he said this. He said, just say the word and my servant will be healed. But you also had a legion. You heard about the demoniac that had a legion that was between four to five or 6,000 Roman soldiers. It could be anywhere in that number. That's how many demons were in that man. That was another military unit from the Roman army and military. But then you had squads and they were comprised of four soldiers and they put four squads around Simon Peter. And as you read on in this story, you will find that he was in the inner prison. So you had these 16 soldiers. He was manacled to two of them. Then you had the guards at the gate, but this was not the outer gate. This was the inner wall. Then you had a courtyard and another part of the prison where other prisoners that they deemed to be less dangerous were kept. Then you came to the other gate. So he had a formidable task. He was stuck. And when Herod, the Bible says, was about to bring him out, meaning that he intended to execute him, That night, Peter was sleeping. But the verse before it says this. While he was in prison, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer. So Herod is about to bring him out. And verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison. How many of you need a light to shine where you're at right now? You feel like you're somewhere in an inner prison and you need God to turn on the searchlight or turn on the light and light the way. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands and he went out. That inner gate was automatically opened supernaturally on its own. Not to mind the 16 soldiers were apparently in a stupor and didn't know what was happening. And then the next gate opens automatically, supernaturally on its own as well. And Peter finds himself standing outside the prison alive rather than dead as was the intention of Herod. Remember, he was going to be executed the next morning. Father... I pray today that you will speak a word to us, open your word to our understanding. God, let us see how powerful prayer, corporate prayer, individual prayer, radical prayer actually is. And we ask it for your glory. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Shout it out loud. Amen. I want to speak for a few minutes from the subject. Radical prayer will change it for you. Radical prayer. 
Archimedes was a famous Greek mathematician and engineer born in the year 278 BC or before Christ. And he famously said, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and I shall move the world. Most of us know about levers and fulcrums. You can move a very heavy weight that you can't even budge if you get a lever long enough. And that's what Archimedes was saying. You can move a refrigerator. A man that doesn't have anyone to help him can create a fulcrum, get a long enough pry bar. He can move a log that there is no possible way he could even move an inch. He can move it with ease if the fulcrum is in place and the lever is long enough. A magnifying glass is another type of force multiplier. It concentrates the energy of light and focuses it in one place. Most of us grew up with magnifying glasses and experimented with them and set little fires and did things we probably shouldn't have done with them, like burn our kid brother or sister when they were looking the other direction. There are also kingdom force multipliers. They multiply the effectiveness of what you're doing in the kingdom of God. I'll give you a few examples, though I won't spend long on them. Wisdom is a kingdom force multiplier. Proverbs 24 and 5 says, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. Did you get that? Enhances his might. His might or his power is placed at a higher level when it is applied with wisdom. The cross of Christ is a very powerful force multiplier. Galatians 6 and 14, God forbid, Paul says, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you are beat up with shame and you can't lift up your head, Turn to the cross again. Look at what Jesus did for you and see how much he cared for you. And notice the power that there is in the cross because he did all of that to forgive you of your sins. He can save from the uttermost to the guttermost. Amen. If you're struggling with physical Weakness in your flesh, the desire to yield to things you don't want to do. Go to the cross because it is there that your earthly desires were crucified along with Christ. And remind yourself, flesh, you got hung on this cross when Jesus died for you. He took this to the cross. The yoke of Christ is yet another kingdom force multiplier. Christ said in Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30, that we should take his yoke upon us. Come unto me, he said, all ye who are weary and who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because it is easy and my burden is light. When you are carrying a weight that you don't know how you can manage to carry it any further, just say, Lord, I'm casting this on you. Would you partner with me to carry this? Because what he'll do, he'll step into the yoke with you. And when he does, he will lift not only his side of that burden, but your side of it as well. And what was impossible 
suddenly becomes a thousand times easier. Am I talking to somebody that's carrying a load that God doesn't want you to carry anymore? Am I talking to somebody that God wants to help pick it up for you? And you've been trying to shoulder it yourself. Let me tell you how you apply those force multipliers through prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are actually two of the most powerful force multipliers that we as believers have access to. In the scripture, there were three men who were prominent that were named James. Andrew mentioned the three Marys of scripture last week. There were three men named James who were very well known. They were leaders in the early church. Two of them were apostles among the original 12 that Jesus chose. One was James, the son of Alphaeus. The other was James, who with his brother John was a son of Zebedee. And they were fishermen. There was also a third leader in the church named James. This James was the son of Mary and Joseph and the half-brother of our Lord. Now he went on to become the pastor of the early church. He didn't start out as a believer. You may remember that Jesus' own brothers questioned the legitimacy of his ministry. But after he rose from the dead, they became convicted and convinced that he was God manifest in the flesh. They tried to deny his miracles. But once he rose from the dead, they became wholehearted believers. And James quickly rose in the early church to become perceived as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You might ask why. I just ask you to take a look at him and you'll see. Because when you looked at him, he had the same genetic features that were, came through Mary. And when you looked at him, you could not help but be remembered, or reminded rather, and remember that he looks just like Jesus. And because of his appearance, people began to remember James. That's the brother of the Lord. He knew Jesus better than anybody else among the apostles. Why? Because he was raised with him from the time of his birth. Jesus was already there when James was born. And so literally he grew up in the same home as Christ. Now, King Herod had the apostle James, the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee, executed in the first passages of this chapter. We don't know why. We do read in scripture that both James and John were kind of hotheads before they got saved. You remember the time that Jesus was going to pass through a certain place in Samaria and the Samaritan said, you can't come here. And James and John looked at each other and got mad, turned to Jesus and said, you, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? Oh, they were hotheads. Amen. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. All we know is that James and John were pretty emotional kind of guys when Jesus called them. Whether that continued after they were filled with the Holy Spirit or not, I can't say for sure. I kind of think probably initially in the beginning it did because how many of you know we carry some of the old struggles into the new life? I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Amen. Yeah, we do. Amen. The longer John lived, the more Christ-like he became, the more gentle he became. James didn't have that same opportunity. 
And maybe it was because of the way he was preaching. Who knows? He may have made Herod mad. You going to say that? All I know is apparently Herod did not plan to arrest James and kill him and kill him. He did it impulsively. How do we know that? Because afterward, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he said, hey, that turned out to be a pretty good move. I think I'll do the same thing to Peter. So he arrests Peter and throws him into prison. Here's the problem. When James was arrested and put in prison, there was nothing going on. But whenever Peter was arrested, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Herod was calculating. He was shrewd. He knew that he had made political points with the Jews when he had James killed. But he knew that if I kill Peter and it's a religious holiday, these same people will have my hide. They'll revolt. So he said, I better wait till after all of this is over. And he intended to go the very next morning, the celebration, the festival, was coming to an end. It was the last night. And that night, God sent an angel. You know why? Because the church had been praying ever since Peter had been arrested. Now, I know we don't like delays. Peter is in prison with 16 soldiers guarding him in the inner prison with two walls blocking his way to the outside world. Not only that, he's chained to two prisoners. And some of us don't want to go through delays. We want deliverance. We want it right now. God, I prayed it. It ought to happen this minute. God, you know this is not right. God, I called out to you. Can I tell you sometimes delays work in your favor? Amen. The believers were assembled praying and that delay gave them time to combine their corporate prayers and create a force multiplier that moved heaven and God sent an angel and Peter is sleeping. Somebody said, man, that shows he wasn't too concerned. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, you know anything about adrenaline? You know anything about adrenaline at all? I mean, fight or flight. And by the way, I just looked out here and saw my, my son in ministry, BL. I almost overlooked you, son. Bless you. So glad he's here. He's a pastor down in Freeport. Just welcome him. Amen. Love you so much, you and Brenda. Praise God. Prayer changes things, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And their corporate prayers became a force multiplier. It moved heaven. God sent an angel. But I ask you if you knew anything about adrenaline. This whole fight or flight thing. Peter was probably terrified at first. And if you've ever been in that situation where adrenaline is just, I mean, it's, it's called up and, and then your life is on the line and you get through it. What happens just a little bit later? It's like, you get sleepy. It's kind of like you ate too much turkey on Thanksgiving day, you know, and your eyes start sagging because your body now is beginning to compensate for all of that extra adrenaline. And Peter's asleep and he's got to know somehow 
that his life is in danger because Herod is threatening him and he knew that just a few days before James was killed. This is what I want you to see in this story. An angel walks up, slaps him on the side. Wake up, Peter. And he wakes up. What? I can imagine. Oh, my God. Is that them? They come for me right now. And he jumps up. And when he does, the chains fall from his wrist automatically. The 16 soldiers are in a stupor and the gates start opening up. And I love this. And you need to realize this about God. The inner gate opens and it's not until Peter walks through it that the outer gate opens. Some of us want every gate to open up before we take the first step. You need to walk through the one he's already opened before he opens any others. Amen. But this story points out something extraordinary. James was executed because the church didn't have time to pray. Before word could get out, Herod got mad, arrested James, and had him beheaded. But he couldn't do that with Peter. He arrested him and then thought, oh, shoot. Here it is. Sun's going down. I won't have time to kill Peter. I'm going to have to wait until the holiday is over. But in the meanwhile... The saints start communicating with one another. Did you hear what happened with Peter? Do you know he's in prison? Do you know they're going to execute him? And they all showed up and began to have a corporate prayer meeting. And the next thing you know, an angel is sent from heaven. The enemy acted so swiftly with James that there was no time for the church to respond. But whenever he arrested Peter, Herod didn't realize it. He was setting things up for the saints to prove something powerful. When you pray radical prayers, a radical God will show up on the scene and do radical things. Can I hear somebody in the building say amen? Very quickly, five lessons. That can be learned from this because what happened was a miracle. Didn't happen for James. Church didn't have time to pray. But a miracle is literally by definition when God intervenes in the predictable, foreseeable outcome of a situation and causes something altogether different to occur than what would have occurred and gets glory out of it. I just wonder, is there anybody in the house that needs God to show up and change the predictable outcome of the situation you're in right now. Are some of you looking down the road saying, man, it doesn't look good. And you need God to show up. Is there anybody in the house that you're walking down a path and you don't want to take another step because it's leading you in a direction you don't want to go? And you're saying, God, help me somehow. You're in the right place. There are some people that know how to pray. There's a God that will hear and show up and do radical things. Five lessons. The first is this. If you don't pray, nothing will happen. We learned that because they didn't have time to pray for James. They weren't given the time. Isn't that they didn't want to, they just didn't have the time. How do I know that if you don't pray, nothing will happen? 
James 4 verse 2, the B clause, you do not have because you do not ask. That's what the word of God says. Number two, radical prayer will cause the strategies of the enemy to grind to a halt and be disrupted. King Herod was the person in whom dwelt one of the principalities in the spirit realm that was trying to destroy destroy the church. He hated the church. And there were demonic forces at work in him. And God showed up to disrupt his plans. Let me tell you something. Are you listening to me? We do not war against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and the casting down of imaginations. You're not going to overturn those strategies just because you get mad. Just because you, I object, I won't let you do that. Well, you're not going to be able to stop the enemy. But I tell you what will stop him. And that is when you pray a radical prayer. Especially if you get other believers together with you to join with you in praying that radical prayer. Because that's what happened here. Zechariah 3 verses 1 through 2. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Notice he's called an angel right here. And the rest of the verse says, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. But verse two said, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You see, this was actually a theophany, which is a physical manifestation of the invisible God. And Joshua has gone to the altar and he's approaching God. And drawing near to God. And as soon as he does, what happens? Satan shows up right beside him. Am I talking to anybody? As long as we need binoculars to find you, you're so far out there. Devil won't mess with you much. But whenever you start drawing close to God. You see, let me tell you something. The devil goes to church more than many believers do. I didn't say that. Come on, behave. You know better than that. You stop that right now. He does. The devil goes to church more than many believers go to church. As Joshua drew near the Lord, Satan stood there to resist him. He's not worried about you as long as you're nowhere near God. But when you start drawing close to God, looking for your breakthrough, looking for a miracle, looking for God to do something in your life, the enemy will come and begin to load you down with stuff. Attack you. Attack your credibility. How many times have I seen it? Amen. Many of us know what I'm talking about. That you start getting serious about God and all of a sudden all H-E double toothpicks like my friend Tudor says. Breaks out in your life. And you're dealing with stuff. 
You say, well, what's the answer then? I guess I should not seek God and should not draw near to God. No, 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 no. Whatever you do, don't live an ordinary life. Make your life count. Make your life count. It's better to have to face the enemy and defeat him than to never be a threat to him in the first place. Make your life count for God. Do something that sets you apart. Amen. Amen. Number three, radical prayer will protect and cover those you care about. This is huge. They cared about Peter. He was the one that preached the message in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost to them when they all received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So he mattered to them. They loved Peter. They loved the other apostles. Like I said, they just didn't have time to pray for James. But now they've got time, and so they pray. Can I tell you one of the greatest problems that our world is facing right now, one of the greatest problems the United States of America is facing? I will as soon as I make this observation and you tell me if you agree with it. Are you appalled at the young men and young women that are giving themselves over to unmitigated violence in our country right now? I didn't hear hardly anybody say amen to that. Wait, I'm going to wait a minute. Apparently you're not watching the news. I don't watch TV either, but I got a news app. I just did a funeral for a police officer in our city driving home from a restaurant who was shot by two young men, 20 and 21 years of age, that had ankle bracelets on, monitors that were already out for murdering two other people. One had murdered this one. That's happening all over our city. They follow you home from the mall. Pull you over to stop and go. Get out and get gas. Somebody pull a gun. We live in a dangerous day and age. You say, how do we fix it? They're just raised in a bad environment. Maybe they are, but that's not going to fix it, is it? Let me tell you how we fix it. It's if we have moms and dads that cover those kids with prayer and say the enemy is not going to have my child. I am not letting the devil steal my young man. My young woman, you can't have him. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. So now to one of the biggest problems that we face in America today, and that is many children have no one praying for them. They don't have a mom and dad praying for them. They don't. Many children... There's no grandmother praying for them either. At least I had that when I was growing up. I had a grandmother to pray and fast for me. But many kids don't get that even. Listen, dad, your number one responsibility, mother, your number one responsibility, you protect the soul of that child that God has given you and you cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ. You pray over them, you anoint them. Well, we just don't have time to pray. We're so busy. Bet you would if you weren't on social media all the time. I'm not trying to be ugly today. I'm just telling you the truth. 
The soul of your grandchildren is worth more of your children is worth more than whether somebody liked your pizza or not. Well, we go to out the door at different times. Well, then get them up a little bit early. Make them go to bed at night instead of running the streets till 2.30 in the morning. I'm not being ugly. I'm not. They are your responsibility and your assignment from God. And you want their gifts and their talents to blossom. You want them to be who God had created them to be. Amen. Well, I've gone ahead and tore it wide open. I might as well finish it now, right? Amen. Even if you go out the door at different times, you can take a few minutes to read a scripture and say, I'm sending you out this door today, not just as my children, but as children of the most high God. You're covered by the blood of Jesus. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I call out of you brightness and intelligence. I call out of you brilliance. I call out of you giftedness. You're a gift to the world. You're not here by accident. I want you to know, son, that dad and mom are praying for you today. And nothing is going to come against you that will be successful in undermining your destiny. Number four, radical prayers will protect and shield other believers and leaders. Not only did they love Peter and their prayers protected him, but he was a leader and he was a fellow believer. Ye which are weak, Paul said, need to bear the burden, or ye which are strong rather, need to bear the burdens of those who are weak. We ought to pray for one another. We live such compartmental lives that I'm not sure that that's healthy. We really ought to pray for those who are going through things. I listened to Brian a while ago talk about that. And putting that little simple voice message of a prayer when I called, it didn't go through, so I left him a recording. And how he played that. He told me that the other day with tears. He said, I played it over and over. And he said, it's still on my phone. You don't know what just taking 45 seconds can do for somebody that's going through a crisis. That's facing a major disruption and attack in their life. Can I say this? I, I mentioned already, I did the funeral for Omar Erson the other day. That's that young police officer coming home from the restaurant that was shot in that drive-by on Sam on Lake Houston. There were over 700 by count police officers in this building. And then there were a ton of politicians. There were family members that were friends. We had a bunch of people here. If you passed by that day and saw the police cars, there wasn't a place left to park a car here because they, they brought, they, they, many of them came one to a car, some two. But listen, I made mention of this in that service. 
I know that law enforcement personnel get a bad rap these days. And it is a bad rap. You say, but it's popular for us to, to shout and condemn and police are all bad. Boo, boo. No, they're not all bad. Most of them are actually very, very good. And they sacrifice their lives for us. And I mentioned in that service, I hope that young man never one time had to face the insult of someone jeering him. Oh, you're a police officer. Because they lay their lives down to help protect our communities. You say, but some of them have been bad. Yeah, I know. It's like anything else. There's some bad preachers too. There's some bad politicians. We've had some bad presidents. I thought I'd get a louder amen from some of you. Because that works on both sides of the aisle. There's some doctors that shouldn't be practicing medicine. There's some teachers who shouldn't be in our high schools. There's bad in every profession. But you know what you do? You get rid of the bad ones and you acknowledge the sacrifices of those who are making their lives count for good. You say, I've had some bad experiences. I get it. I get it. Man, I had some bad experiences going to school at the hands of my teachers. They broke more paddles on me. I was in shop class. They would make me go out and make my own paddle and then use it on me and break it. If they lived today, I'd have them arrested for child abuse. But I'm one of the 24 elders, remember that. See this? I love what I do. Amen. Pray for those you love. Pray for other believers. And I'm going to say this going into a, another election cycle. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. May God send revival to the White House, the House of Representatives, the Senate. May God send revival to the Supreme Court. May God send revival to Austin and every other state capital. Amen. I don't care what party you're affiliated with. I want God to send revival. Why? You say, (gasps) you said you pray for our leaders? Yes. You know why? They make decisions that affect the country I live in. They affect my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. So you know what I pray? God, send them revival. Let their hearts be stirred. Let them have an encounter with heaven. I'm closing. I told you I tore it open. I might as well go ahead and finish breaking. Amen. And number five, radical prayer will bring deliverance. People who live in the radical zone are people who choose to believe the truth of God's word and they put their faith in God to do what he said he would do. Did you get that? To do what he said he would do. Is that so hard to believe that if God said something, he will do it? 
People that pray radical prayers are simply people that take Christ at his word, that if they ask, they will receive. And because of that, they pray. And because of somebody else's prayers, doesn't say because of Peter's, though I'm sure he was doing, like they say, some tall praying himself. (laughs) But it was because of that prayer meeting. Somewhere down the street that an angel said to the other angels, I'll be back in a few minutes. I got just got a, an assignment from the Lord. And he walks down into that prison and says, wake up and chains fall off and gates start breaking open. Who am I talking to? That's getting ready to have a miracle. Who am I preaching to today? Who am I talking to that God's going to show up and do something in your life 